Thank you for listening to the Utah Shakespeare Festival's Play On podcast. This is your host, Nano Taggart. Today, we have two incredible actors, Henry Warnitz and Steve Voitage. Henry is playing Sir John Falstaff in Henry IV Part One and Aeschylus in Measure for Measure this season at Utah Shakes. Henry is an accomplished Shakespeare actor and director, having been a resident actor and director as well as the artistic director at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Here at Utah Shakes, Henry has recently played Prospero in The Tempest and other title roles in Macbeth, Henry V, and Richard III. He's also directed multiple Shakespeare plays here at the festival. Steve Voitage is playing Hotspur in Henry V, Part I, and Angelo in Measure for Measure. Utah Shakespeare Festival patrons have seen Steve in King John, Twelve Angry Men, Mary Stewart, and Titus Andronicus. Steve has also acted at the Illinois Shakespeare Festival, American Player Theater, and at the Goodman Theater in Chicago. So, so Hotspur is kind of the formula for the hot-headed young rebel, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And kind of the same thing with Falstaff, yeah. like talk about a kind of a literary trope of, you know, so much magnitude. Well, I, you know, I went, it's an interesting topic, because I went to Brian Vaughn early last summer, during mm-hmm. the course of the summer, and said, you know, thinking about next year, I said, I'm, I'm interested in doing Falstaff. And I said, I know I'm not the type, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big guy, so uh-huh. you'd have to do the fat suit and everything. Yeah. I said, but... And that's what appealed to me about it, you know. Like Steve would be appeal, uh, uh-huh. you know, be attracted to doing Angelo. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you know, boy, because Falstaff is usually the big roly-poly guy in the company, or something, yep. or someone with some big Burst. size. Yeah. You know? And so I mean, <laughs> but I like the physical challenge of, of playing a role like that. I've right always on. enjoyed the the kind of the body work in, in acting, and so right so that was you know. But I went to Brian Vaughn very early and said, you know, if you're thinking about you know, a little different thing. I said, I'd be, like to talk to you about it. If you really need a big guy, I said, that's cool. I understand that. So and that's, that's awesome. ultimately his choice. But those are the things we kind of look for. With that hair, man, you should get any role. I saw <laughs> yeah. a play with my wife and uh, my stepmom, actually, on Wednesday, Henry. And uh, my stepmom's like, man, Henry's, he's got like the best hair, hair in the Shakespeare Festival. I've, and I've I was heard like, you know what? He does. Look at those Multiple lines. people it's, who it's, saw yeah, the play that the women are like, look yeah, at his look hair. At I know. It's true. It's, like, it's, is that real? That it's is something real. You know, I have no control. I just let it grow. And you know, it's like you know, it's just oh, nothing, so nothing you can do. I mean, Steve can go to the gym and he can kind of keep that going, but yeah, you know, I don't have to do anything about this. It's just it's going natural. It's just gray and whatever it is. It's, it's a gift. I don't try to knock it. You know. yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Henry and Steve, for joining yeah, us. And sure. you're both, you know, busy. Uh, we're kind of in the thick of it here in the summer season. I want to employ some of the feedback I've gotten as a host of, of this podcast and have both of you maybe supply a little bit of background on um, the shows you're in Measure for Measure and Henry Four Part One. Uh, I've, I've been guilty of assuming a little too much familiarity on the part of the audience, getting into some questions that maybe people who haven't seen the plays might not attach to you too well. So if if maybe Henry, you could um, set up Measure for Measure a little bit, and then uh, Steve, if you could set up what's going on, you know, specifically with your character and its his sure. relationships in um, Henry. Well, uh, measure. Is, or measure, yeah. I have a very small role in measure. But so, it's, you know, a, it's a crucial. You know, you know yeah, measure but, real well. But I know measure really well. Yeah. But I, I played the Duke twice in measure. And I played yeah. Claudia many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I measure for measure is, but a, a, a lot of people consider kind of the first Jacobean play, you know, written under King James after mm-hmm. 
Queen Elizabeth died. And it's by its nature, it's a little darker, it's a little more ambiguous in some ways in terms of what's going on in the personal stakes of the story. Uh, it's not a it's not a big sweeping history. It's a much more intimate little play in some ways. You can do it. A lot of the scenes take place inside, you know, inside places mm -hmm. or in smaller uh, chambers or things like that. But it's 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 a great play. It's a very modern play because it it it, it revolves around questions of leadership and morality and mm -hmm. leadership and what is the proper way to govern. Uh, and that is in a macro sense of the duke who is uh, the ruler of Vienna and has not been governing very well and decides to step out of his role and put Angelo, Steve's role, in charge. And he knows Angelo is a very strict, by-the-numbers kind mm -hmm. of guy in terms yeah. of law enforcement and yeah, particularly yeah. vice. Um, and then the Duke kind of hangs around and watches what happens as yeah. a result. Uh, and that's in a large sense about leadership, but then in the, in the micro sense, you've got Angelo, who is now charged with this uh, duty and he gets involved in an emotional way with a young woman whose brother his he is sentenced to execute mm -hmm. and he starts stepping over his moral boundaries and his lines and yeah and that it makes the play very interesting and very modern in that way because those yeah. are issues that we mm -hmm. still deal with a lot today you know in, in all countries how do you govern well how do you govern uh, yourself and how do you govern your community how do you govern the, the state and the nation yeah, uh, and those those are things that never quite go away. What about uh, with 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 Hotspur and, and Henry? Um, could you maybe set up why the Percys are so angry? Uh, well, so we enter into the play, and this is a continuation of Richard II, which was in the fall, mm -hmm. uh, where Bolingbroke has now become Henry IV. Yeah, and now and my family, the Percys, helped gain that crown for him. Yeah, um, and now we feel he's being a little ungrateful and a little selfish, and. Uh, at the beginning, it's a point of contention over prisoners that I've now taken yeah. in a fight uh, that he wants. And basically, I'm not giving that up because I want him to ransom my brother-in-law, Mortimer. Yeah. Uh, but he won't do it because, and I don't, I find this out over the course of the play, he is actually heir to the crown. Richard named him heir. So yeah. one of the reasons Bowling Henry doesn't want him around is because he is heir to the crown. Mortimer. And, Mortimer is heir to the crown, yeah. yes. Um, so that s starts splitting us off, and then you have the Hal Falstaff storyline of this prince who's kind of a ne'er do well and hanging out with this fun uh, fallen knight. Uh, <laughs> as Wild were. old dude, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's shirking his responsibilities as prince, and so I am uh, this danger that is coming to a head and starting to grow, and it forces <laughs> Hal to make some decisions and. I think move along and grow up a little bit, and so uh, I suppose that is the quick and dirty version of that. Uh, and he has a you know strained relationship with his father Henry the Fourth. Yeah. Um, and so it's that all shakes out. So it, there, it's very different from Measure in that it's a I think it's on a grander it's a lot larger and a lot yeah, sharper yeah. and a lot you know louder. Uh, but it's still very personal. In the, it is. It's, you know, relationship between It was also, it sons. was a well-known story. It was history, you know, uh -huh. of, you know, 150 years prior, 180 years mm -hmm. prior, somewhere mm -hmm. there. But uh, the Elizabethans knew the story. It was like us, you know, seeing a play about the Lincoln or, you yeah. know, something in Civil War or something. We would know, we would know the, the rough gist of the story yeah. and kind of find our way into it that way. Measure is a much more... Uh, oblique tale mm -hmm. that came from different sources that yeah. was more of a of a mystery story or a brand new play 
in terms of uh, Shakespeare's audience. Shakespeare's art, yeah. cool. Um, yeah. If we can kind of talk about measure for a little bit uh, and doing my homework for this interview, um, you think it's fair to call measure sort of Shakespeare's most Christian play? The the Christian references, I mean, starting with the title, you know, comes from the book of Matthew. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you have a lot of characters in there that, you know, the idea of virtue, the idea of forgiveness, the idea of, you know, metered justice, um, kind of hits you over the head a little bit. Is it is it an oversimplification to say this is Shakespeare um, delving into this subject the most you think he did, or is that? Um, well, it's, it's it's yeah, that's a it's a very that's a very uh, foggy area to get into because yeah. um, you know Shakespeare is certainly writing in a in a Christian time, although the 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 fundamental kind of uh, unit of Christianity was, had changed between, between Cap. Catholicism and Protestantism, and then mm -hmm. gone back and forth, and of course Henry VIII's you know break with the Church, yep. uh, Elizabeth's father, um, and Shakespeare himself. I mean, rarely gets into talking much about religion, yeah. but the the ideas of morality are in there, and and you can you can every age can read into these plays, you know, various yeah. ideas and and themes that um, can be supported in. Very different arguments, yeah. But there certainly is a lot in the play of, about uh, about sin and vice, and of course the, the young nun character Isabella, who Angelo gets involved with, is someone who's who seems to be on a religious track. Mm -hmm. And there are very few other characters in Shakespeare's plays, except from the the obligatory monks who are always showing up, whether it's in Romeo and Juliet, the friar, or you know, there's always somebody in the in in, in the cloth somewhere. But this yeah. was also part of life at the time yeah, although sure. although a lot i mean a, a lot of the the religious references in shakespeare plays often speak more about catholicism and than than reformation christianity than protestantism yeah. uh, so it was it, safer at that time to talk about in what was some ways in some away. ways although you know when elizabeth got back on the throne i mean there were a lot of catholics yeah, that were that were put to death and you know and and vice versa when her sister mary was on the yeah. throne for a few years there she was putting protestants to death you know mm -hmm. it was uh you know <laughs> religion's always <laughs> spent a lot of time in religion killing people so yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. but it, but i mean it is a lot of critics have pointed that out there's a lot of you know imagery of of you know redemption and forgiveness in in that play and yeah. the, the duke is in some ways could be considered a christ figure or as Angelo, the Christ figures, he's the he's the he's the fallen angel, mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. And so, and but it, I, go it's all it's also in the in Isabel's central conflict. Of, yeah. yeah. If you know the idea of if you believe in an eternal soul and it's mm -hmm. the good works you do here versus the life of her brother, I yeah. mean, unless that faith is strong, then that's actually not really much of a, you know, I mean, that's a true question. If you truly believe in it, you have to question that faith. Yeah. Of, yeah. Well, how much do I really believe? Because I'm, do I believe enough to let my brother die? Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, it, it is, I know, I don't know, I would have to know every Shakespeare intimately, I suppose, yeah. which I do not to say this is number one, but it is, I mean, and, and the examples of grace and forgiveness mm -hmm. of the, the, hopefully the Christian center of, you know, Jesus's teachings. Of, yeah. And, and I do think, that is manifested in, in particularly at the end of the play. I don't want to give anything away. I yeah, yeah, absolutely. People haven't seen it, but I, I do think um, when I was studying it and seeing that, and um, that was a part of what I built as a character is that mm -hmm. very much that this question is at the forefront uh, yeah. of, of what I'm thinking about and trying yeah, to yeah, experience. Yeah. yeah. Your character, uh, Angelo in that play has this amazing line. 
that kind of encapsulates uh, all the things you just said. And with um, might there be charity in sin to save a brother's life? And he he's kind of he's playing off some of these ideals, and he's aware of of. You well, know, that that's the thing about it. He doesn't. She doesn't walk in, and he doesn't go. Uh, have sex with me or oh no not or, at all there, there's a, there, it builds well he's yeah. he he wants he wants her he respects her as a religious mind as a thinker mm-hmm. that's what gets him first is her religious arguments yes she goes well think about this what about mercy what if god acted the way you did and that that worms his way in, and he loves it he's engaged by it he's enlivened by it yeah and then in the next scene he wants this thing that he knows he shouldn't have but yeah. if isabella if he goes, well, is it a, is it okay? Like maybe, maybe it's all right. <laughs> Do you think that this would be okay in this yeah. particular situation? And if Isabella goes, well, yeah, actually that would be okay. Then I think because he's playing Angela into her say, sensitivities. Yeah. Well, he he's looking for something. They're all looking for something, and Angelo's looking for is this okay? He's looking. I mean, she, Isabella at the beginning of the play says, "Is there no stricter restraint?" And that is a woman after Angelo's own heart. So you think he really too. wants an answer, or is he? I do. I do. do I. Yeah. I mean, that's how I. I took it. Because I've seen. I've seen it portrayed as more of a manipulative. You, right, you know? but that I think for Angelo, because I, you know, you work backwards. You you read it, and then yeah. you go, well, who is this person? And it's based on what characters say about you, and yeah. that that may or may not be true. I mean, Lucio has a you know yeah. says things about characters and about everybody. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot of half <laughs> of that stuff take is the true. source into consideration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and then what the characters say and what they do, and his soliloquies aren't like Iago's. He doesn't go. Oh no no no! Look I... what I no, but I mean he, he yeah. could be if if his soliloquies were like Iago's. I'd go. Here's a confident evil dude and and he knows what he's doing and he's fine with it his soliloquies are about i don't know what i'm doing i shouldn't do this i want this i shouldn't have done that yeah well it's too late now you know and so there's so much doubt in there Mm -hmm. that for me in that earlier scene to go like he's just going to go after it because why do if that's true why doesn't he just go you know here's the deal i have all the power that's a good point because because i I mean i'm in charge well angelo also does this wonderful thing in the in those interviews with isabella where he kind of He's trying to make it her idea mm-hmm. in some sense. Like, you know, any guy does at a bar, you know, <laughs> <laughs> trying to pick up a girl, you know, yeah. is it your idea? Uh-huh. You know, oh, no, really, I can't. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and this, uh, you know, the, Shakespeare was very interested in this idea of one or the other. I mean, he was the antithetical idea is his great uh, yeah, yeah, rhetorical yeah. device. And, and you know, uh, Angelo is uh, he's equivocating a little bit he's mm-hmm. trying to find both sides you know well is it not sin is it not good then to sin a little bit if you're going to save your brother you know he's, uh-huh. he's trying to find a, a loophole yeah in in the the you know the religious law in some sense or yeah. in his moral in his moral wall he's trying to find a, a chink somewhere that yeah. he can that he can slide through yeah, and, yeah. and this was a big idea in Shakespeare's time I mean it's true. Uh, not long after James after this play there was the famous gunplatter to plot where they tried to blow up Parliament and James, and and this is where Macbeth comes out of. And uh, there was a Francis, uh, a Jesuit priest, who they put on trial, and he the word equivocation came into the vocabulary because he tried to play both sides play both of the sides. coin all the time. Awesome. And that word shows up in Macbeth all through oh, the play. Right, equivocation. Right, right, right. Your character doesn't have a lot of lines, uh, Aeschylus, Aeschylus, in the play, but Aeschylus is befuddled. <laughs> but he's also. Uh, uh, it might be convenient to call him the the voice of reason or mercy, but 
he is a character that's really important to Angelo, who's kind of at the center of this play, and and sort of you know playing the counterpoint. Yeah, he reflects two... off Angelo, and, and yeah. he's uh, he's also, but he's also he's he's a servant of the state, and as much as he might be able to argue with the the appointed deputy who's yeah. in charge, there's only so far he can go because he because he wants to do his job. Yeah, you know. Uh, and and there's that that's 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 a kind of fun thing for me to kind of hold on to that idea that he's he's got to do his job well he's got to do his job well because that's what he's paid to do and and I also have this idea that he's probably grown he's probably watched the Duke who's younger grow up into this role he may yeah. have, I might have worked for his father or something I don't know yeah yeah um, and when he finally decides he's going to get married at the end or he wants to get married that's kind of a wonderful thing you know good for you, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think that's the only time in the play I try to find a real genuine smile on mm. on Aeschylus's face when he says what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine when the Duke says that to Isabel at the end and I get, get rid of the whole plot there but uh, <laughs> you know, I think uh, other stuff Aeschylus happens and Aeschylus and yeah a lot, lot of other things happen yeah. but he is you know he's, he is a little bit you mentioned the voice of reason uh, uh -huh. uh, you know I Voice of Reason with a small R. I mean, it's not like he's this great emblematic Sage. idea no, in the all. play. But he does play off of Angelo. He's one of those characters that a major character can talk to mm -hmm. and, and get and get the uh, the thematic elements out into the play. And, and that yeah. was always something that Shakespeare... Hamlet had a ratio. You know, Absolutely, uh, King yeah. Lear had Kent to talk to, you know, and Romeo has Benvolio. There are all these people you can talk to. Yeah, um, which gets the gets the the play moving along. Absolutely, I I, I kind of get the sense from the play that um, Aeschylus is the other side of that coin. Where if you combined it with with Angela's steadfastness and belief in the law, especially pertaining to virtue, you get a character closer to the Duke, who who kind of has set this up as a laboratory to judge the the political governance yeah. of the people in his state. I mean, for all intents and purposes. Yeah, the the Duke. I mean, he says the Duke says very well in the play that. He's talking to the friar about why he's doing what he's doing. He says, you know, I've always loved loved the life removed. Yeah. That he's always been removed from that, which is which is a, another thematic thing throughout Shakespeare's you, play. You said Prospero's something. the yeah. same way about that. You know, he's he's a guy who, who does that and then gets usurped by his brother. Yeah. And the Duke is kind of usurping himself here and putting someone in charge who he knows will do the job better than he does. I think Aeschylus knows what should be done. But he's a, he's kind of a bleeding heart liberal, I think, on some level. He wants to go to Angela yeah. and say, you know, this young man I would save. He tell, you know, yeah, he, he was going to get married, so let's bend let's bend yeah. the law. I mean, well, that's people the first ask thing me why didn't they put Aeschylus in charge? And I was yeah. like, because nothing would change. Right, Aeschylus Basically. would rule the exact same way Basically. the Duke would be like, yeah. you know, be very nice and merciful and yeah. forgiving. And uh, the Duke wants to curb that. He wants to pull that back. And yeah. so, um, and some people <laughs> ask me, is like, does the Duke see that coming? And I, I told people I was like Angela is a chainsaw a chainsaw is very useful it can do a lot of great work yeah, yeah. but it's also dangerous and can and accidents happen and things go poorly so I think I mean that's what he's using Angelo as he needs the chainsaw he needs oh, wow. this tool right now it just gets away from him a little bit and, and so Angelo Duke, feels that calling that the state needs a little bit more guidance yeah I, I think you know you as an actor you build a history that's yeah. a little yeah. outside of the play based on just yeah. to fill it and so uh, I know for me, I've probably been walking these streets, looking at these things and, you know, uh, very against it. And I'm sure I've been vocal about that to the Duke and yeah, you know, Aeschylus, you yeah. know. And so the Duke knows where I stand on that. It's awesome. clear. 
I, I, everybody in town yeah. seems to know where and I stand. And it's interesting. And it's also, you know, it's a, it's an age old notion and we still deal with it today about the guy who stands up and shouts about, we really shouldn't be doing that stuff. Turns out to be the guy who's yeah. doing, doing that his stuff. private yeah. life. That's yep. true. You know, yeah. you see, we, how many congressmen have we caught doing this? Exactly. That, yeah. All that stuff. That's, That's right. It felt so immediate to me yeah. when I, yeah. when I was reading it, I was like, Oh, I, I've seen these people. I know, I know these people. But the, you know, these issues of morality and stuff were things that the Elizabethans and the Jacobean audiences were dealing with. You know, it was it was a Christian ma nation, a Christian world. The idea of turn the other cheek, forgiveness, yeah. the thing that uh, Isabella says at the end of the play about, you know, he didn't, he didn't really, his thought didn't overtake, his, his action didn't overtake his thoughts. Mm. He actually didn't do what he thought he did, <clears throat> yeah. you know. Um, and And thinking is not a sin. Now, in the Catholic world, that is thinking, yeah. just to think the thought. Yeah. You know, I was raised as a Catholic. And yeah. If you think the thought, that's as good as doing it. So why don't you just go do it? You know? but, yeah. but so it's, it's, a, it's, it's very complicated. And I'm always interested in these. I've studied these plays for a long time. I'm always interested in what the, the basic audience unit of a Shakespeare play were people that the leaders were changing. You know, in the 1550s, suddenly they were Catholic. And, yeah. then, and then suddenly they went back to Protestantism. And, you know, the, the ordinary people are going, what have we got to do today? <laughs> you know, true. who's in charge now? And you saw these themes over and over again in the plays that the leaders were always trying to, you know, change things. Uh, but Shakespeare was always also very interested in the idea of what, what the humanity of the leader was. And we see that coming up in Henry V, where yes, yes, the, yes. the great young man who comes up and becomes the great king still has doubts about what he's doing. We hear, we'll hear it in part two of Henry IV, uh -huh. where Henry talks. Henry himself talks about, uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. I can't sleep nights because yes. I'm the king. And those, that's an interesting notion that Shakespeare was long interested in about the humanity of those people, not just yeah. the cardboard cutouts of kings and queens. Yeah, their role. Yeah. And, and the recurring theme throughout the plays, we see this at the end of Henry V when the chorus comes back out, after Henry's won Agincourt and he's been married to Catherine, all's right with the world. And the chorus, some of the final lines of the play is, of course, you all know that his son, Henry VI, lost all this. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, so talk about downer at the end of the play, you know. It's true. But the Elizabethans, they also knew that was their history, and it repeated itself again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the thing that we don't quite get in modern times, I think, the 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 repetition of themes and again and again and again leaders and the general population is always just dealing with trying to make a living yeah you know, it's an interesting dynamic i think so much insight from both of you this is like a playground for people of a literary persuasion on the subject of henry of which you brought up so well henry the obvious foil for hotspur is of course hal they're sort of a, at the opposite ends of the spectrum both in terms of character and you know their allegiance um sort of their recent history um but it seems like Falstaff and Hotspur, there's also kind of a really important foil there. These are two characters that aren't on stage together a lot, but they, Falstaff, it seems like he serves as a little bit of a, a reflection of, of the mirth that Hotspur really only hints at a couple of times in interacting with, you know, his wife and a couple of his close confidants. Do, do you do you feel like these are two characters that play off of each other, or is? Well, it's. I mean, we are the opposite ends of the thesis on how much honor matters. Yep. Yep. Uh, Falstaff is honor matters not at Thank all. You. Not at all. And Hotspur is honor is everything. everything. And I think, and if you can look at some of these plays as an education for how, mm -hmm. of, you know, and so um, at the end when we fight, he takes something from me. I think, and 
I know me as Steve, you know, you, you have a job as an actor and you try not to judge when you're inside the person. But, you know, me reading the play, it's like, I don't want to live in Falstaff's world. I don't want to live in a world where nothing matters. Yeah. But I don't want to live in Hotspur's world either where, you know, it doesn't matter how you live. You can die like that, but as long as it's honorable, that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, and so I think Hal is going to move that needle to the middle. I think, you know, at, when he becomes king, I think that's what he's figuring out. He's moving away from Falstaff over the course, and will that's in kind part of a, two. A brilliant metaphor that he's yeah. actually taking Hotspur's honor a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I think I think it's in the text. I think yeah. he takes you know the transfer of favors, and you know that that he that this respect is found between these two people. You know, yeah. and, and how comes into an element of that, not as f- extreme as Hotspur's. Yeah, went. yeah. And I think, and in the way I play it too, it, I think Hotspur's trying to pull that back too i think hal and hotspur are trying to meet this center point and mm-hmm. for hotspur for me there's a point where my uncle goes yeah your harsh rate like your the way you are it sometimes does great things for you mm-hmm. but sometimes it just makes you look angry and it loseth men's hearts yeah and i think that i think that hits hotspur in the place that is yeah. important to him where he wants to lead men into battle and so because the, the outcome of that battle is also going to be about deciding who's going to lead the country. That's right. true. Right. Um, and so, and so uh, Blunt comes in, and I rail against the king about what he's done, and Blunt goes, shall I return this answer to the king? Yeah. And Hotspur goes, no. Which is the first time he's ever gone, like, yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah. tell him, and we'll go fight tomorrow. First time exactly. he's had, like, a second yeah the, yeah, the first time he's actually backed up and <laughs> yeah. going, we'll think about yeah, it. Yeah, right. Well, um, and I think that's because of what... And so I think he's learning, too. Yeah, um, and then, But his lesson gets cut short. Well, and you don't get a lot of... There's not a lot spoken about this in the play, but Hotspur does unite, you know, you know, Scots and Welsh and a lot of people. So there is some political skill, you know, that goes into that character. But do you think, uh, Henry... That Hotspur, the politician, might, maybe could learn something from a guy like uh, Falstaff. Well, I, I think, um, you know, Falstaff. It's not. I think it's not entirely true to say Falstaff doesn't care about anything. I think he cares about certain things yeah. Yeah. in his life, but he doesn't care much about honor. And I think it's. In, I think that's because he's an old soldier. I mean, he is. He is, He's got knighted for something. He did something in his <laughs> life early on that he was probably on a heroic track of some sort. But some, he somehow got disillusioned. Yeah. Whatever that is, I think I think he, he I think he saw his his patrons or his masters get 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 screwed over by the system, and, yeah. and he realized that the system was rigged. And he talks about when he talks about honor as just a a, a scutcheon, a funeral monument. Yeah. It's something that somebody gives you afterwards. And he does when he sees Blunt dead on the ground, who dressed himself up as the king and sacrificed himself. Yeah, now that's honor. But he didn't go seeking it, you know. But at the same time. Uh, that wonderful line that, that Falstaff has about, it's at the end of that scene where he says, I, I like not such grinning honor as Sir Walter hath. Yeah. The grinning always makes me think of a skull, right? That's, it's a dead honor. It's, it's, and he's lying there dead like a skull and face. Fixed. And he wants change, to be, yeah. Falstaff wants to live. Um, and, more than anything. Uh, and he is a survivor. More than anything. He wants to survive. Yeah. And I think this, this significance that Shakespeare has made fall. I mean, he's Shakespeare has a number of other characters in his plays that are kind of foils for dramatic people and are younger, like Paroles and yeah. uh, All's Well That Ends Well and, and Mercutio. Yeah. Uh, and they're younger <laughs> and they're more vibrant. But I think it's important that Falstaff is an older man because he's seen things in the world. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a, um, of a cliche to say, but... 
the the soldiers who are most against war are the old soldiers. Yeah. The ones who have been through it. Well, it, you know, it's easy to say it's a cliche, but at the time this play was being performed originally, I mean, Falstaff probably wasn't a, a trope or an archetype yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might have been a little more new, this idea of a disillusioned soldier who's, you know, decided to pursue pleasure in, instead of, you know, honor, which you described yeah. as that thing. It really doesn't mean anything until you're dead. Well, um, you know, and Falstaff does what Shakespeare does with a lot of his characters that talk directly to the audience, yeah. that he, he brings the audience their perspective you yeah know? when push comes to shove all these guys running around killing each other for war and i'm just trying to make a living you yeah know? you, you kind of ham and, it up and, too and, I, and, and, yeah a little bit interacting <laughs> with the audience yeah yeah you have to uh I, I everyone brings up this line of falstaffs and if i could get both of you to to, to chirp on this it'd be wonderful uh but in, in the role-playing scene uh where hal and falstaff take you know turns playing the king mm -hmm. and hal back and forth in the tavern um, it seems like a really important scene in Hal's development, but Falstaff's final line in that scene, uh, banish, is it banish Sir Jack and banish the world? Banish, uh, if you banish plump Jack, but banish you, plump you'll Jack. banish, banish plump Jack and banish all the world. It's, if you do that, that's what's going to happen. That line seems to hit me over the head as if, you know, people love Falstaff because he's, he's funny, you know, he's, he's big, he's boisterous, he's, he's all these things that, that, you know, audiences enjoy because it's easy to access, you know, this sort of humor. But is, does that line suggest maybe there's a little more to what a character like Falstaff means uh, to people than comic relief? He's definitely much more than comic relief. That's what got me interested in the role that, you know, there's uh, the, the idea of the, of the failed man, that somehow he took a turn in his life that uh, has set him on a road that's, you know, uh, different from the other heroic characters. Mm -hmm. in the play. He's not a heroic man. But I don't think he doesn't, I don't think he think I, you can't play him this way. I don't think you can play him as he thinks of himself as a coward, that he thinks of himself as a, as a, as a failed man. Deep in his heart, he knows he's maybe not achieved quite what he had hoped to achieve. Yeah. And he says numerous times throughout the play, I'm, I must give over this life. He yeah. says it in his very first scene with Hal, you know, yeah. and by the Lord, and if I do not, I am a villain. You know, so he's got to change. He's going to repent. But he never quite gets around to it. And we all know what that's like. You know? Yeah. Well, we're, we're seeing around. it. We're yeah. seeing Hal yeah. kind of go through this yeah. at the same time. But, you know, it's it's a brilliant thing on on the writer's part that you've created this very big, boisterous man who's not perfect. And he's he's a little sketchy in terms of how he goes about things, the, the, the whole thing. I, I can feel the audience kind of pull back from me a little bit, too, in that scene where I talk about my the men that I've mm -hmm. uh, acquired, that I've yeah. scripted into the army. I let all these healthy guys buy their way out, and I've got all these other guys from prison who are just going to be cannon fodder. Yeah. He says that much, you know, food yeah. powder. Uh, they're good enough to toss. They'll fill a pit as well as anybody, you know. Uh -huh. And that's a really kind of dark view of what that's about. But that's the mercenary in Falstaff, and that's the ugly part of him. And I think you've got to find those parts to balance out kind of the, the comic man. Uh -huh. because And that's why I think that's the metaphor of being all the world. Yeah, the world contains everything. So she, and yeah. Falstaff thinks he contains everything. Yeah, in some level. So he is. He feels all the world. That's awesome. Um, which is a great metaphor for I think any character. You try to find these those balances within yourself, which keeps them human. Because we are nothing if we're not human beings. Are nothing if we're not contradictory. Yeah, you know, with ourselves. Uh, you know, going back to Hotspur and sort of the sort of reflect on you know character to character. Um, it's easy to call him just a severe character you know there's there's a lot of oomph in everything he says um but there there is an element 
it seems like we're he has to some degree a lot more humanity than Henry just described and that Hotspur does seem to really value the lives of the people that are willing to fight by his side more more so and I don't know if that we can chalk this up to that big idea of honor or well not. I, I don't I mean he does and he doesn't <clears throat> he what he he's willing to sacrifice all of them yeah die all die merrily but there's some but reverence be, but yeah because he thinks it's worthwhile it's not there's no, it's in no way hypocritical and it's no way yeah he wants to lead these men to glory hopefully to victory and if not there's value in dying for a great cause and hotspur truly believes that so i do think there's value in that but i i do think that's why they're on this opposite ends yeah. of the spectrum and neither is particularly great to yeah, have right, right. a warrior saying like no just we'll we'll all go to our deaths yeah it doesn't matter because it's for a great cause i don't really buy that nor do i buy well they're good enough to fill a pit and yeah. so the truth should be somewhere in the middle and i think they that's where hell yeah that's yeah. where yeah. he's he's sliding back and forth on that scale yeah mm-hmm. you know he starts kind of Closer to Falstaff, and he ends up closer to Hal. Yeah, and he and Sam's talked about this. I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but he's talked about mm-hmm. to his father. He says, um, you know, uh, every honor sitting on his helm, where there were multitudes, and on my head, my shame drew double. You know that yeah. he's going to take Hotspur. He's going to use all of Hotspur's glory for. Him. He's going to take that, yeah. and then he says it to me. I'll make a garland. I'll crop thy honors and make mm-hmm. a garland for yeah. my head. And and so there's this idea that he's going to take all this honor. And then once, you know, he defeats me, that idea isn't quite as strong. Uh, there's a real respect from Hal. Mm-hmm. It's not about, like, I've won. And the, there's he, doesn't, a real... he doesn't just turn into Hotspur. No. Yeah. No. He, 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 Hal's finding a balance. Yeah. Hal's learning what it is to be, what is of, of value. Yeah. Um, what can truly help him lead. Yeah. I think one of the things that Hotspur and Falstaff both have in common is they, they think of themselves as the world. You know, this is how the mm-hmm. world should be. Mm-hmm. And one of the things Hal learns in the course of the plays is that you, you, you're only as good as the people around you, mm-hmm. and, you and you surround yourself with that. And by, but by the time we get to Henry V, um, you know, early in the play, young King Henry has this horrific speech in front of the gates of Hotfleur that he's trying, this French town he's trying to... To, to open their doors, and he says that they don't open their doors, and he describes what his soldiers are going to do. We're going to bash your father's heads to the wall. We're going to spike, spike your infants on pikes. We're going to rape your, your young women. He describes what the soldiers will do, mm-hmm. and, and it's a chilling speech, and then the, the guys say, well, I guess we'll open our doors. <laughs> but then later in the play, he has this great speech about honor, about the Christmas Day speech. He that sheds his blood today with, to be, with me shall be my brother. Yeah. Uh, and and he just does it with a more common touch than Hotspur's able to yeah. do it. Well, Hotspur he, he wants knows, to be at the yeah. head of the pyramid in some mm-hmm. ways, you know. He knows how to be a tool, yeah. but he knows how to be several different tools. Yeah. And that's part of why is because he, yeah. you know, learned from... He, he soaked up a lot, and you can see it happen during the course of Henry. Sure, and, and Henry IV, Shakespeare does a great thing by making Hotspur this guy you kind of want to aspire to. Uh-huh. Uh, because he makes the audience forget that he actually did lose. Yeah. <laughs> and so you and, and all the people say, "Yeah, I was rooting for Hotspur because he's not there." Yeah, it. but so but, the, but the audience also they know he lost. Yep. But so, yeah. so they get caught up in this, you know, like when we're watching a play, a, a film about JFK or something, we know he's going to get shot. Yeah. We get into November 1963, we know it's going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. it makes it poignant. It gives it a double a double edge to it. And the, the Shakespeare plays are full to that kind of information. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's terrific. Thank you both so much. Uh, I, I need to let you go. I can sit here and talk about these two plays <laughs> yeah, for eternity. Yeah. But I, I sincerely hope that everyone that listens to this podcast sees both of these plays because they're incredible stages of both plays and they're two of the best plays in Shakespeare's canon. I mean, well, and Shakespeare's plays are also meant to be seen. They're yeah, it's true. Don't sit at home, read them, come see them. They're yeah. They come alive in a whole different way. So awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Henry. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Play On podcast. We'll be visiting with more actors from the 2014 season in the coming weeks. 